Hi, I'm Ambika Gotham Pai. I'm a writer and the chief strategy officer of an ad agency called Mechanism. I'm a mom of two little babies and the sort of person who just cannot stop thinking. You are listening to Corner Office Breakdowns, a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace. Here we dive into conversations that usually happen in whispered tones or behind closed doors and bring them to the center, contemplating and breaking down the way leading and living have historically been done and rebuilding them together. Corner Office Breakdown sits at the intersection of business and leadership, equity and emotion, parenthood, womanhood, personhood, and as crazy as it sounds, the meaning of life. All of the guests you will hear from are people who have fundamentally changed my outlook. They may shift yours too. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you love it. I hope you share it. And I hope you subscribe. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Neha O'Rourke. Neha is an award-winning career and energy coach, speaker, and founder of Somewhere In Between Coaching, a company dedicated to empowering career-driven humans to discover their purpose and realign with their definition of happiness, intentionality, and fulfillment, and bring it to the forefront in ways that advance their personal and professional endeavors. Neha offers a range of services from one-on-one coaching to group workshops and courses and has worked with a ton of amazing brands like Expedia, WeWork, The Wing, and more. She's been featured in publications and has been recognized uh, by Rising Tide Society as 20 on the rise in the coaching category. And prior to her coaching practice, Neha worked in advertising, like many of us here. Um, And as a result of the physical, mental, and emotional burnout she experienced, Neha shifted her career to launch somewhere in between coaching. She fundamentally believes that life is too short to be surviving your career, and that every woman and human deserves to thrive both professionally and personally. Neha, it's really good to have you here. This is this, so great to be here. <laughs> this is like what this is our third conversation or something crazy. Like we have not spoken that many times, but every time we have spoken, I know I have left being like holy shit. I'm thinking about life differently. Holy shit. I'm thinking about work differently. Um and so I am so excited to be here if for nothing else than to continue to learn from you um, and have you shake up the way that I'm thinking about life and the listeners are thinking about life and help us just remove some of the cobwebs that come from just dealing with with what life sends our way. Um, So when this conversation first came about, one of the things I was thinking we could center our chat around was burnout. I mean, I'm having that kind of day today where, you know, I've worked the last few weekends, um, work's been really crazy. You know, I have a two and a half, actually she's almost three. 
I have a three-ish year old and a seven month old, the toddler is homesick. Like, it's just one of those days where I'm like, oh, when is it going to ease up? And so I'm really feeling burned out lately. And one of the big questions that's been floating around in my mind is, is it possible at this moment in time to feel burned out at work without it trickling into feeling burned out in life and sort of compartmentalizing burnout. So it's not this overarching feeling of dread across everything um, you do, but it's just one part of things. And so I'd love to start the conversation that way, just because it feels the most authentic and real. Um, And then I think we have a very interesting flow in store for everyone. I love that. And I just have to, first of all, say I, what drew me to you aside from your beauty inner and outer is just your realness. Like I love the authenticity that you bring to every conversation. And I think it is so powerful to be a woman in a leadership position and have real and raw conversation about what your human experience is throughout this process. So you know, just thank you for putting that out there and for being real and for just sharing this authentic conversation because we're all real people mm-hmm. and we love to walk around with these masks on, acting like we have it all together. But underneath, we are all going through shit. Yeah. Period. Right. And it's so powerful to bring our shit up. We all have different shades of shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we all have different shades of shit. It's true. It's true. Well, I was not expecting that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm blushing. (laughs) Making a brown girl blush really, truly is a feat. So I I know I was like, no, but I definitely am. My cheeks are looking a little rosy. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, but yes, let's, let's talk burnout unless you were going to say something else. No, I was just going to, a little slight, just tidbit note in here. I, I think women struggle to receive compliments or receive hearing things that are good about them. Oh Lord, we're getting there. Just a little little (laughs) plug here before we jump into burnout. Hot tip for anybody listening. If someone pays you a compliment or says something that they love about you to take away some of that, like, no, no, it's not me. Just say, thank you. I received that. Thank you. I received that. Beautiful. I love it. So let's talk about burnout. Okay. So to answer your question, you know, this is my point of view in that you are not one person at home and one person at work. Mm -hmm. You're one person. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your energy at work, whether we want it to or not is going to spill over into your personal life. And it doesn't mean, mean that it takes over your personal life, but there are your one person and it can come out in various ways, right? Are you being snippy with your family? Do you have less patience? Are you just exhausted and don't have, you know, the energy to do things that you normally would, right? And it's neither good nor bad. It's just that your energy is finite, okay? And so when we're experiencing burnout at work, it's definitely going to bleed into our home life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Somebody recently said to me, I'm like, was it you? I wonder. (laughs) Um, somebody recently said to me, they were like, Ambika, you only have a hundred percent of your energy. Some days you're going to wake up and you will have not slept well that night. 
So you'll have 70% of your energy. Other days you're going to wake up and not feel well, and you're going to have 30% of your energy. That's all you have for the day. That 30% becomes your hundred. So here I am my entire professional life thinking I'm pouring a hundred percent of everything I do into my work. I have done that. Absolutely. I have left maybe 5% for other things historically, which is exactly why I am here doing corner office breakdowns to try to, (laughs) you know, change my own mindset and hopefully reframe things for others. But I've realized that energy is finite for the first time ever. And there is no way in hell I can exert hundred percent of my energy on my job anymore. When I have two little children relying on me, when I have my own, you know, experiences with postpartum depression and anxiety that require, you know, looking at myself and dealing with myself and caring about myself, um, I also have a partner. I also have a family, aging parents, lots of cousins. I love, you know, friends and that finite energy has created so much guilt and so much, uh, pressure. And so it's interesting, right? Because yes, there are no divides between work and personal, but we have historically divided it but our energy reserve is all the same. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with this false notion of balance that has Mm -hmm. been a part of the conversation, right? Balance means that it is equal on both ends. And what you're describing is there are so many different facets to you Mm -hmm. and to your life and to the evolution, right? You added on kids in the mix Mm -hmm. and you have different families and there's different creative projects, right? So there is a, it's a fluid thing. It's not this like black and white thing to balance. And that's where I really think that the word alignment serves Mm -hmm. a lot better. And you can, you know, let's be real here. There's Mm -hmm. a million different people saying work-life balance and alignment. And like, what the fuck does that actually even mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Truly. And (laughs) truly. And so take all whatever terms you want to call it aside, right? Let's just take that out there. And it's really about just meeting yourself where you are at in your energy, in that moment, in that place, in that space and time. Okay. So, you know, giving yourself grace to say, you know what, I really don't have the energy for my cousins today. And Mm. today I am in a creative flow. And so work's going to get that full, right? And Mm. maybe your, your family, your kids don't get it all that day, but that day you were in a creative flow. And so it flowed for you that day, right? Not needing every single day to look the same is something that I think that we Mm. need to give ourselves permission for. I think, you know, as a society, we are on this schedule where it's nine to five and it's really on a made for a male's hormones. Like women don't operate on that 24 hour schedule. Oh my Um, God. That just came up in the last episode and it blew my mind. Yeah. Yep. I never knew that before. Or even if you think about like the way that we structure our day. Like, why is it that we have to eat lunch at noon? Like, according Mm. to who? Like, what would it look like to start having your meals when your body is actually telling you, right? We have gotten so accustomed to looking for other people to tell us 
how we should live our day, whether that's society, our families, industries, experts, that we've completely lost touch of what does my body want me to do? What does my intuition tell me? What does my heart tell me? It's almost like we've been so accustomed to the external noise that we have completely silenced out our inner knowing. And yeah. burnout happens when you are not listening to your own needs, right? We get burnt out because that person needs that deliverable or these external factors are needing this of me. And what mm -hmm. happens is we're not listening to ourselves, right? So part of the antidote to all of this is how do we start to turn down the external volume and turn up the internal volume? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about school and schooling mm -hmm. and, and the education system um, as I'm trying to navigate getting my daughter into preschool in a city. And one of the big realizations I've had is we are taught everything about the external world through a white men's view, if I'm honest, <laughs> but we are thought so much about the outside world. We are taught nothing about ourselves. Yep. And even, you know, you're given a very structured class load, then you go to college or university and you're asked to choose between like what one of five-ish things net net and we are never taught how to listen to what it is we want or who we even are all of a sudden we go out into the world one day and they're like who are you what makes you different what makes you unique what makes you you and you're like well fuck I don't know I've spent the last 18 20 years trying to jack, just actually fit in and right. follow the instructions that have been given to me by everyone. And I think a lot of us are still fighting that battle. 100%, 100%. We as a society really have not even scratched the surface of starting to educate humans on what the fuck is the point of all of this? Like, who are you? How do you navigate with the internal machine, which is your, your body and your mind? And let, like, how do you even work with that? Half of us don't even know how that we have choice in our thought. Like the mm. fact that like, we just think that, okay, whatever you think is whatever is. In fact, no, you actually can choose your thoughts. Like there's so much power that we hold as human beings that nowhere in our system are we taught those things. Mm -hmm. And we're actually taught from, to your point, from a young age to emulate everything outside of ourselves, to mm -hmm. want to fit in, to having outside things determine our worth and our value. Mm -hmm. And so we get to this point where you're like in a, maybe in a job that you absolutely hate. That was, that was my circumstance. And I was like, how how the hell did I get here? And who am I outside of this title? I had no idea. And it took mm -hmm. me to have an absolute mental, physical, emotional breakdown, which was my body's way of being like, yeah, this gig's over. We're not doing this shit anymore to mm -hmm. finally ask myself the question of like, who am I? That question used to be so scary to me. It was daunting. You know, if you go into a, a meeting where they're like, tell me your fun fact. I'm like, 
Oh my fun God. Fact. That gives me hives. <laughs> when I think about that, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I just, I show up to work and I do it and I'm the good daughter and I'm the good wife and I'm the good this. And like, I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't have a fun fact to tell you. Um, and I think that's a lot of people's lived experience. Yeah. And Neha, earlier we talked about um, how we both come from a South Asian backdrop mm-hmm. um, and how we have a lot of similar experiences, but some experiences that feel very different. And I'd love to just spend a little bit of time talking about how the South Asian upbringing informed your path and maybe is still informing your current path if you found a different way to reconcile it in your mind? Oh, that's such a meaty question. So yeah, I think every, there's commonalities in the South Asian experience and then there's exceptions, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, the common thread that I see with a lot of South Asian individuals is, and especially as women, um, Mm -hmm. you know, my parents came, I'm a first generation Indian American here, right? My dad at classic story, one bag, you know, built mm-hmm. this from the ground up. Yeah. And so that the, the tone of you need to work really hard was always there. Right. And then other people's opinions, right. I think in South Asian culture, we're very, very steeped into what does this uncle or auntie think? And for anyone who's listening, who's not South Asian uncle or auntie is just a term of respect of any person that you know older than you. Yes, because you're supposed to respect anyone older than you. <laughs> any, anyone older than you, right? So just always caring about what other people think, caring about like doing, being the good girl, right? Being the good, yes. perfect, like have everything balanced. Um, for me as a woman, you know, a lot of that South Asian upbringing was that the woman is the person who keeps the family together. And the woman is the person who ha- has those domestic responsibilities and your girl can't cook for shit. So that <laughs> like, I am literally visiting my family right now. And it's so interesting because they are very steeped into, you know, there needs to be a square meal and they have different, like the full fledged mm-hmm. meal. And I have never fit in. And I, to be completely honest, I had a freaking breakdown like two days ago, sobbing over dinner because I was trying to do my best to be that good daughter, to help my family out, to try to cook the Indian food. And I just completely ruined it. And it was so, it was so, it was so stupid because all that happened is I botched the recipe. Okay. Mm -hmm. And but what that did to me was I, the feelings of God, why can't I just be that, that person that my family wants me to be? Why can't I just fit that mold? And I was sobbing over dinner. And that really is a lot of the undoing that I'm having to do about what is my worth as it relates to my culture, as, as to what I've been told. And I've been really being intentional and, and even telling my family, this is smallest example of cooking, right? It's not who I am. That is not like I am a hundred percent manifesting a private chef. And like, I know I will get that. Like I am stopping at nothing and I will get that. And giving my family, even the ability to see that, Hey, there are other ways of living. Different people mm-hmm. have different lifestyles, different ways. And, and even opening it up for myself to say, I can live differently than the example. I don't have to be, you know, the person making fresh roti every day and making all these different meals and, and living differently. So it's an ongoing experience for me. I feel like the, the reason why 
we are constantly seeking to emulate the way others live is because we've seen them survive and we've seen them provide. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there is just this undercurrent of fear (laughs) coursing through my body all the time. I feel very privileged to have an incredible job. I get paid well. I'm salaried. I have health insurance. And those are all massive things of privilege at this moment in time. On the flip side, I'm watching my peers and people who I've like professionally grown up with being like thrown out of the workforce by the droves overnight. And I cannot, like, I'm just constantly sitting somewhere in between, which is Neha's company's name, like somewhere in between this, like, trust that, like, it'll be okay. I don't need to be in constant fight or flight. My nervous system is constantly like alert, alert. Everything is like, all the alarms are constantly going off within my body. But then I do have a sense of stability, but then shit is falling apart all around us. And so I think there is this fear, right? That is driving everyone, but there's so much truth to that fear. We're all afraid for a reason. We're all afraid because there's a war in Iran, there's a war in Ukraine, there's a recession, you know, where bodily autonomy is being yanked from under us. There, there's just school shootings. There's just so much heavy, horrible, sad, scary, fucking shit right now. And so how can we not have fear as our driving force? Thank you for your honesty, because that's real. And we still live in our, two things can exist, right? Shit can be hit in the fan, Mm -hmm. which in many cases it is. And our primitive brains are still programmed to operate as if we're being chased by saber-toothed tigers. Yes. Right. And so understanding that the fear exists. And so it's, fear is not the enemy. Mm -hmm even though it can feel like it sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Psychologists often refer to fear as fantasized experiences appearing real, Mm. okay? And so fear is actually just here to protect you. It is not here to sabotage you, okay? And in some instances, those fears serve you, right? Because that fear of let's say it's losing your job, right? Okay. It's going to come up with solutions of how, how can we keep our job or how can we, how can we make ends meet? And at the same time, fear limits us to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And when the fear starts to limit us more than it serves us, that's a moment to say, okay, do I really want to continue to listen to the fear? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So fear is not the enemy. I want to make that really, really clear. Fear is not the enemy. Fear is here to protect you. And when we have all of these different things happening, like all of the shitty, shitty things that are happening in our world right now, I also think I'm just going to tangent here for a second. Yes, please. 
I think now more than ever, we are so hyper-connected through technology. We are being overloaded with stimuli more than ever before, right? In the past, it's not that these things didn't happen. It's just that we didn't have access to all of it every day at all times, mm-hmm. right? And so being overloaded with all of this information is also not good for our nervous systems. Oh, Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I want to like scoff when people are like, I don't watch the news because part of me is like, what do you mean you don't watch the news? Like, It is our responsibility to be informed citizens and do something and blah, blah, blah. But I'm getting to a point now where I am so overloaded that I'm having to be the person who's like, I can't watch the news. Like, I can't engage with social media today because you're so right. There's there's a proximity element here, right? Fear used to exist and the fight or flight instinct used to exist to protect us from saber toothed tigers. If they're like, you know, clipping at our toes. Fear now is a more ambiguous, far reaching concept, right? It's not right in front of us, but it is all around us. And so figuring out when to address fear and let, let fear sort of take you over and when to say, yes, I am fearful of this, but this is not something affecting me at this very moment in time in my present reality feels like a really important thing to be able to parse apart. Yeah. And I think it can be easy to say that, right? You can be like, yeah, okay. In theory, I'm going to parse apart my fear. It to actually take tangible steps towards making that happen, two things need to happen. Mm -hmm. Number one, giving yourself a little bit of space, right? Because if we're constantly on the go, on the hamster wheel in it, right? You don't even have a second to say, is this fear serving me or not? Is this a legitimate fear or not? You Mm -hmm. don't have the time because you're on the go. And the second part is choice right? The ability to choose just because it's there and not making it mean something about you, right? So if you choose for that day, not to watch the news, let's just take that as an example. It, it doesn't then mean that you're ill-informed, doesn't mean that you're a bad citizen of the world, doesn't mean that you don't care. This means for that day, that was too much stimuli for you. Mm-hmm. And so not making it mean something about you is really important, right? Not judging. The minute we have judgment in there, all bets are off. Right. Right. So what would it look like to give yourself the space to actually investigate your fear with curiosity? Because at the end of the day, it's just there to protect you. And where we often fall short is we judge what our intuition or what our body is telling us, right? We judge the fact that, okay, if I turn off the news, what does that mean for me? We judge if, okay, if I have this privilege, air quotes privilege, what does that mean about me? You're almost, sometimes we get so used to scarcity and fear Mm. that if we step outside of that, we're like, oh God, I'm, I'm not being inclusive. I'm not being humble. I'm not noticing, but when you want anything to change in life, you're actually, the, the, here's the thing about fear. When we are in survival mode, our blood rushes away from our brains and into our legs. 
-hmm. okay? Because we want to, our body is preparing to run faster. And our bodies are only meant to be in that survival fear mode just for a split second. But what's happened is we are overloading it constantly. Mm. And now it's like a resting state for most people. So our bodies are getting fried. Okay? Resting fear face. Mess- I definitely. <laughs> I, I definitely have resting fear face. Just you, t- the word space, you said the word space and I got scared. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like. I have no space. I can never have space. I don't know how to find space. How do I find space? Like it is exactly what you're saying where we become fearful of anything mm-hmm. and everything, even the most beautiful concepts, if they feel unachievable, if we feel like we can't attain them. Yeah. And it, it is that scarcity mindset. Yeah. And I think Listen, change doesn't happen. It's not about looking at the whole mountain and climbing it or wanting to change your whole life 180 in one day. It's about what is the smallest, most attainable baby step I can take to start to teach my nervous system how to start to shift into rest and digest and expecting it to be uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. you have spent so much time being, whether it's burnout or in fear or in survival mode, that that is actually now comfortable for the body. Right. And so even the idea of, yeah, rest sounds great, but that, that can be really scary for people who have been in burnout. And I'm raising my hand here because I have, I'm constantly working on how do I invite more rest into my Mm -hmm. body and make Mm -hmm. it feel more comfortable? Yes. I'm grabbing a book, but keep going, you know? And so it's expecting discomfort as you transition out of fight or flight and into rest and digest. And when you're like, okay, yeah, fuck that Neha. I have enough discomfort in my life. I don't want more discomfort. It's that when the discomfort of your pain outweighs the discomfort of whatever shift or transition is happening, that's when we actually change. Hmm. So discomfort and service. Yeah. When the discomfort of our pain outweighs the discomfort of that process or that transition or trying something new, right? That's where change happens. Hmm. So we always, we oftentimes you know, don't do things. Cause we're like, Oh, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're totally negating the fact that you are feeling discomfort in the first place. It's not like discomfort right. doesn't exist. It's just what is more uncomfortable at the end of the day. Yeah. My dad always used to say, if it hurts, it means you're growing. And I did, I got crazy Charlie horses as a kid. Cause I'm really tall. And I grew really tall within like a month. And he was like, you know, whenever you feel pain, there is growth out of that. But then I feel like that is like a victim mindset. So uh, there's so much here, right? Because we have not been taught that it's okay to take a breath. We have not been taught that it's okay to seek space. The more hours we put on our sheets, the more billable we are, the more money we make for our companies, the more we can unlock people to hire on our teams. And the book I was grabbing is called Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. She was the founder of the NAP ministry or is the founder of the NAP ministry. And she says, the possibilities are infinite. 
although living under a capitalist system, is to be confronted with the model of scarcity. This space makes you falsely believe there is not enough of everything, not enough money, not enough care, not enough love, not enough attention, not enough peace, not enough connection, not enough time. To be colonized is to expect and buy into the lie of our worth being connected to how much we get done. And this book is, it's like radical in its simplicity of like, just take a fucking nap. Like literally like this, it just says rest in bold letters with an exclamation point. That's it. I love it. Yep. And, you know, I think there is so, there is fear in rest. There is fear and quiet. There's a reason why the minute we have downtime, we go to our phones. There's a reason why certain people can't fall asleep without the TV on. How do we get more comfortable with that in a way that feels doable and achievable? Because I have been told so many times, like, even if it's just five minutes a day to the point where I'm like, I'm numb to it. Mm -hmm. I'm numb to it. And I feel like a lot of people are numb to it because that's what we hear. Like, you know, headspace, it's like a five minute meditation. Like, it's almost like we're, we're quantifying and, you know, putting marketing behind something as simple as just being. And so I want to hear from your perspective, like, as somebody who's thought so much about this and also will similarly call bullshit in the way that I do of like, what is the real talk of how we get here? Yeah, I, that's, that's, you know, a big one. And I think the answer to that is different for everyone. And it goes back to Mm -hmm. this idea of there is not a one size fits all approach. We have all been through different life experiences that have resulted in our nervous systems and our brains and our bodies being at whatever state they're at. Yeah. And also the solution to that is very individualized. So let's just have even a real talk moment right here, right? The, whether it's headspace or a nap or whatever, those are just tools, right? And different tools resonate with different people. So let me ask you, what does rest mean to you? I don't know. That's, and that's why it's so scary. Right. And it's scary to the point where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to know. I don't have the space to figure it out. And, you know, rest used to mean something very different. And I'm in such a transitional phase of life where I'm adjusting to having children and a high intensity job. And now, you know, all of a sudden I'm realizing all of these other things I care about from a work perspective. And I'm like trying to harness that excitement and that inspiration and what it's, what it's creating is less space, even less time. And even less of a connection to what my body and soul, if you will, need. And and that's why I started off by this conversation by talking about burnout, because I think that's the way corporate America talks about 
people losing touch with themselves. And corporate America's solve for it is unlimited PTO. Or, you know, you get a year subscription to Headspace. And it's like, no, no, no. There is some deep, deep, deep work that cannot be solved through any of those. And yes, I agree, they're tools. But like, if you strip out, LOL, I'm in advertising, but if you strip out the brands and the marketing and the, the, you know, creating a category for profit and all of these things, and if you take yourself back to where your ancestors were, like, you know, on the shore of water or in a forest or whatever, like what is, <laughs> I'm asking Neha these like existential questions, but like, what is the simplest solve to just seeing yourself again? Yeah. I, I think the fact that you're even asking these questions is rest. Mm. Mm-hmm. That just shows that you've had, that's the version of rest, right? And and again, this kind of goes back to even what we we're talking about, like balance and all that stuff, right? You have an expectation of it being even or like, and what I've seen, especially in creativity is that it flows, it changes. The answer to that changes. The idea though of rest, you can understand, I bet you can think about what that feels like in your body Mm -hmm. one time in your life. Can you take yourself back? What does that feel like in your actual body? So I do meditate a lot. Um, and even like right before this recording, which I almost canceled because I was so overwhelmed today. I had a pitch. One of my kids is homesick. The other one is at home because he's so teeny. Um, but I forced a 30 minute break. I literally just didn't go to a meeting. I thought I texted them, but I didn't even text them because my brain was just not functioning. And I opened my patio door in my bedroom so I could get some fresh air and I laid the fuck down. (laughs) And so I know what that feels like. Right. And I, I was like, Oh, this feels so good. Like I needed this desperately but it's so momentary. Like, I don't know how to navigate my life from a place of ease Mm -hmm. and restfulness. Mm -hmm. I'm navigating my life from a place of, um, chaos and overwhelm and anxiety. And I'm doing all the things I have the therapist. I have the psychiatrist. I work with an amazing breathwork coach. I meditate. But still, like life itself, the day-to-day feels so mechanical. Mm-hmm. And it does, it feels like I'm on a hamster wheel. I know people say that, and it's it's like this, it's kind of trite at this point, but that's exactly what I feel like. And so I'm wondering, not just like a moment of rest, but how do you how do you live life through a more restful lens? Yeah, that's beautiful. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but everybody's answer to that is Mm. different to 
me, life from my perspective feels most restful when you are able to live it in alignment with A, who you truly are outside of, so getting really clear outside of all of the titles, outside of like, take Ambika outside of what you do for a job, who you're related to, or what relationships that you're in, where you live, like as pure consciousness, right? Consciousness meaning who you are outside of all of the other things. Okay, when you are clear on who your being is, and when you are being her in alignment with Mm -hmm. your own energy, Mm -hmm. that is to me when rest happens because you could be running a marathon and that Mm -hmm. can feel restful. Restful doesn't have to mean stillness or not moving. Yes. That I think is a big shift we need to make. Rest does not need to mean stillness, but, you know, and we talked about this earlier and I think it's such a good point, especially for those of us who are in creative fields or creative adjacent fields that we are all navigating from a place of cynicism. You said we are fucking jaded. (laughs) So jaded. That is not restful, right? That is like fully depleted, functioning like machines on the hamster wheel, whatever metaphor suits your version of exhaustion, fill in the blank. Um, But how we might just need to get soft again. And when you said that, I felt something soften. Can you talk a little bit more about what you meant when you said that? Yeah, listen, as someone who, you know, came from the ad world, I remember I was, it was a race. I was on the race of how can I have the most output and how can I do the most things and how can I balance? And I had become jaded. Like, what do you mean you can rest? And what do you, yeah, that cut, that's great. I don't have time for that. Like, okay, we want to sit here and talk about all the flowery shit. Well, I don't have time for that, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And what I meant by softness is giving yourself permission to be human again, Mm -hmm. not to be a machine, but to acknowledge that we all go through shit mm-hmm. and it can be hard and we have feelings and you're not a machine that has 24 seven output. You have a life outside of your job. Yeah. You have past shit that you've gone through that carries with you and you're a human being. No, I'm not. I'm a chief strategy officer and a mom <laughs> and a wife and a sister and a daughter and a podcast person, apparently. Yeah, no, I hear you. And asking yourself, who am I? Is like the question of a lifetime, right? It's, it's I think, what we're all trying to discover in whichever way feels right. And to me, you know, people are like, 
why are you adding more work to your plate? Like I've, I've probably told maybe five people about this podcast. Cause I'm just scared that people will be like, but you talk about how you're depressed and you talk about how you have anxiety and you're busy. Why are you adding something to your plate? But you're right, Neha, like this to me is so much more in alignment with who I am that I leave these conversations feeling replenished. And that's something I haven't felt in a really, really long, long, long time. And it's not because I'm destined to be a podcast host, (laughs) which I had a lot of resistance to when it was first proposed to me by my friend, Richard. Um, But it's because I've been avoiding these questions out of fear for a very long time. And for the first time I'm saying, fuck it, I'm going to ask, I'm going to explore it. And if anyone else can get something out of it too, great. If not, oh, well, it's my life, right? Absolutely. And I think that's something that as much as we want to say we don't, fear of other people's opinions is very real. At the oh, end yeah. of the day, your, your fear, I'll even speak from my perspective. I remember I have always been someone who's been very in touch with my intuition, with the, it's just my gift, like my gift is being able to see people's souls and to be deeply connected to feelings and being and like the life, these existential questions. It's just who I've always been. Mm -hmm. And I remember growing up, you know, I was like, oh, I want to be a therapist. And I remember my parents telling me, oh, no, 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 you're too sensitive. You won't be able to handle that. And without question... I said, okay, yes, truth. So mm-hmm. what can I do? And apparently that led me to advertising. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But, you know, even in advertising, I remember the cynicism around wanting to have the armor on and not bring those feelings in. And I remember myself making myself smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where I was completely diluted. I wasn't there anymore. And part of my burnout, I do believe has to be with, I had completely abandoned my true self Yeah. to shape shift for what I thought I should be because, you know, I was not accepted in that space as my true self. And I remember after, you know, I had a huge breakdown that my hair was falling out. My health was just absolutely declining. And I had to quit my job with nothing in hand because my body was screaming to me. Mm -hmm. And it took me over a year and a half to figure out what the fuck happened. What do I want to do with my life? Where am I without the ad girl title? Like, I don't even know who the fuck I am. And that's the scariest thing of this all, not to mention the question of what do you want to do next? And It took me literally having my body break down before I was like, okay, I got to face the truth and figure out like, who am I actually? And what do I actually want out of life? 
And I remember after a whole bunch of expiration and it was not like eat, pray, love. Okay. Love that movie. But that is not how self-discovery happens a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> most of lot- the time you're like sitting in your, in, in somebody's basement. Cause you can't afford a place of your own. And you're like, okay, let's figure this shit out. <laughs> you're sobbing on the rug on the floor. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Right. But I remember the just absolute joy I felt once I finally was like, oh my God, yes, this is actually who I am. And yes, this is what I want to do. And it was, oh my God, I can just already picture people talking shit about oh, yeah. me going out to do this. I could picture my old coworkers just talking mad shit on like, <laughs> oh, look at, she's going to go be a coach and all this stuff. Yeah. And it stopped me for a long time. It stopped me for months where I had clarity on what I wanted to do. I was so excited about it and I didn't do it. I didn't launch it for months because I was like, oh my God, like people are going to judge me. And finally I, I just said, fuck it. I was like, I'm already, we're in rock bottoms basement right now. We we have nowhere to go, but up from here. Right. And it was that moment where I decided, fuck it. Because at the end of the day, you are the one who has to live with the consequences of those opinions if you listen to them the people Mm -hmm. providing the opinions aren't the ones living with the consequences yeah and for me at that point it was like you know what the consequences of me not listening to myself are worse than -hmm. the consequences of someone else thinking or saying shit because people are going to say shit anyway oh yeah they are and I think you know this brings me back to how we are taught to prioritize what we learn from the outside versus what we know on the inside. And that that's what I'm leaving this conversation with that and resting fear face, which like, I just, (laughs) I feel like that needs to like be on my Instagram bio. Um, I'm working on it though. I'm Make working the swag on being and we'll buy that. <laughs> resting fear face. Um, no, but it's, you know, it's acknowledging that fear. And if, if that's what you feel inside yourself, feel it. Right. But I also think navigating from the internal versus the external sometimes, maybe that to me is rest. Maybe that's my definition of rest. It's just being like, what's up, Ambika? (laughs) What do you need, girl? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Versus, hey, mom, hey, dad, what would this person do? What would that person do? What would my boss think? What would my best friend think? Because, yeah, that's how we've lived the majority of our lives. And that's probably why we're so fearful. because. We can't always do the thing that everyone else will accept from us. And being okay with that, right? Like what's funny is the people who aren't okay with it, once you go after it, oftentimes are the ones that come around and are asking you, how did you do it? Hmm. Because it's coming from their fear. Yep. Oh, well, we could talk for hours. Absolutely. I literally feel like you should see my notebook. I have like 14 follow-up conversations. Um, but this was amazing. Thank you so much, Neha. 
Thank you so much for having me. And just honestly, for all the work that you put out there, like I wish when I was in advertising, I could look up and see someone having the real conversations. And so if you are in the ad industry, just follow Ambika. This oh my is gosh. amazing <laughs> that you're doing this. And this. just thank you. There was so much sheer terror in my voice after Neha started complimenting me that we literally had to end the episode abruptly right there. Um, But I am working on it. There are a few things I learned from this episode that I have been going back to in the weeks since we recorded. And as I have put corner office breakdowns out into the world. And one of those is that I need to not shy away from the fact that I love doing this and I need to take myself seriously enough to say, I have a podcast. I'm proud of it. And I think it's a fucking blast. Um, The second is that fear is here to protect us. We just need to kind of tune inward and turn inward to know what it is telling us and learn from it. Neha taught me that rest does not equal stillness. Perhaps sitting here and having these conversations and asking these questions are my form of rest. And she reminded me that we need to get soft again. We have all of these years of conditioning ourselves to have thick skin and not be sensitive, and we need to reverse some of that conditioning. And lastly, for pulling the phrase resting fear face out of my psyche, I have never felt so seen. Thank you so much, Neha, and thank you all for listening this week.